Welcome to MuggleCast episode 374. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. We're joined by one of our Slug Club members this week over on Patreon. Hi, Sarah. Hi, guys. How you doing? Where are you hailing from? I am in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania right now. Wilkes-Barre. Oh, okay. Good old Wilkes-Barre. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. Thanks for your support. Thank and, you. And uh, I think we have a fun episode for everybody today. We're going to be talking about the Department of Mysteries and the Prophecy to wrap up a month of Order of the Phoenix-themed discussions. And uh, we have a little bit of news to discuss as well. Some some drama in the fandom. Uh-oh. What'd you do, Andrew? <laughs> Uh, not this week. Not No trouble by me this week. But first, let's get Sarah's fandom ID, learn a little bit about her. What's your favorite book, movie, Hogwarts House, Ilver Morning House, and Patronus? Please say it in all one breath. Okay, here we go. Uh, favorite book, Prisoner of Azkaban, Order of the Phoenix, Gryffindor, Pukwudgie, and Basset Hound. Okay, thank you. And where were you for the midnight release of Order of the Phoenix? I wasn't allowed to go. It was always uh, timed around the night before my family and I would leave for vacation. So the only midnight book release I ever made it to was Deathly Hallows. Okay. Huh. Well, if you're going to attend one, I guess that's probably yeah. the one to go to. I had to put my foot down and say, I'm going. I have to. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, were you on family vacation during each of these? Is that what you were saying? Yeah. Sorry. So we would always leave the next day. So my parents would be like, you are not staying out till midnight and then getting up early the next morning and getting in the car. So that's, that's really unfortunate weird... because yeah. book five was in June. Book six was the end of July. It just seems like, I don't know, they had it in for that's, you. That's, yeah, that's a weird coincidence. I was going to say, maybe your parents just purposely did that to keep you from going out. <laughs> oh, the family vacation is, uh, when is the JK Rowling book coming out? Okay, that day. They were secretly the trolling MuggleNet just to know. <laughs> right, right. Anyway, thanks for uh, joining us today. Have you ever attended any of official or unofficial fan events? Um, other than book releases and just random part. Well, yeah, I guess book releases would cons- be considered unofficial fan events and uh, um, gone yeah. to trivia nights and such. So there's just a sprawling amount of unofficial fan events out there that you could go to. Yeah. Oh, my God. Imagine if they started cracking down on trivia nights. That would be the worst, Eric. What would we do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, there's this report in the Associated Press about a week ago about Warner Brothers cracking down on unofficial fan events. There have been a few popping up across America, at least over the past few years. As we all know, Harry Potter is still massively popular and people are looking to celebrate near their hometown. So, um, Warner Brothers is now saying it's uh, necessary to halt unauthorized commercial activity. One example is one that takes place in Chestnut Hill, that's in the Philadelphia area. Philip Dawson, the Chestnut Hill business director, said Warner Brothers reached out to his group in May, letting them know new guidelines prohibit festivals' use of any names, places, or objects from the series. So that ruled out everything from the meet and greet with Dumbledore and Harry to Defense Against the Dark Arts classes. This fan event had those types of things, and now they can't do that. So at first they were thinking they might shut down, but then there was a follow-up report. This particular event in Chestnut Hill is going to change its name to 
wands and wizards. <laughs> there you go. Still found. They found some words that weren't copyrighted, I guess. Um, yeah. What well, do we think about this? Is Warner Brothers reaching too far? Well, Chestnut Hill in particular has been massively popular, and I have never been, but I've heard about it. You always hear about like entire families going and, and having a wonderful time. This was its eighth year. This was going to be its eighth year. This is not something that just sprung up yesterday. Um, and the timing is a bit concerning to me that Warner Brothers is all of a sudden, you know, cracking down or making these these changes. It makes me wonder if they're going to stop at festivals or go on to like podcasts and other things that are <laughs> happen to currently be out there. So I saw this and I yelled fire and um, quick grabbed my extinguisher. So this is the last episode of MuggleCast, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to make it to uh, <laughs> quadricentennial uh, existence or uh, even 375. Right. Well, thanks to things like free speech, we're allowed to talk about Harry Potter. Um, but back in the early days, some of our oldest listeners might remember, Warner Brothers actually didn't like the album art that we were using because we were using the book cover, Half-Blood Prince book cover. And um, they actually got us and Pottercast removed from the iTunes store for a short while. Oh, yeah. And then we don't know what happened exactly, but we did get restored. Um, J.K. Rowling. <laughs> just, uh, no clue who was involved. <laughs> but, you know, we've we've definitely been concerned about our Patreon, for example, over the past couple of years. Because I feel like if Warner Brothers wanted to, they could probably come for us. And they, they haven't yet. And this is also, by the way, why we launched Pickle Pack all those years ago. Because we were selling t-shirts with muggle cast on them and warner brothers eventually cracked down on that so we were like fine we're gonna do something we're gonna make money a different way so we launched pickle pack <laughs> and we called it pickle pack because there's no words like muggle <laughs> in that title yeah muggle, they don't own pickle. pickles yeah it's right. all the same i just wonder why now right so we're several years after books and movies have been released i know Fantastic Beasts is a, is a whole nother conversation. But does, do Warner Brothers really care? I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, they're still very comfortable with the amount of money that they're making from this franchise. It's billions and billions of dollars. And certainly a fan fest in Chestnut Hill is, is not taking away from their bottom line you know at the at the very end of the day this this is minimal amounts of money compared to what they've made from this franchise and i would think they would want fans to to keep the spirit alive right, right. To, to not let yeah. it just kind of like trickle down and and kind of like go off and in, in, into the sunset not that that's ever going to happen with this series but you know it, we're what 11 years after the the last book has been released and the movies is what, five or six years. So yeah. I just think that they're doing themselves a disservice and, and honestly, it's bad press for them. So uh, I, I think they just better, you know, there are certain situations of course, where they should step in uh, and, and they, and you know, they have every right to, but I don't think this is, this is one of them. I think, well, they're updating the guidelines is what the article said is what Warner Brothers told Chestnut Hill. I mean, if they're having events that say meet Harry Potter and meet Albus Dumbledore, sure, I can see how that would be a problem. Like, you know, some, uh, it, it's reasonable that some rando out there thinks it's going to actually be Albus Dumbledore, like an officially 
sanctioned by Warner Brothers uh, character uh, when it's not right. So I, I think Warner Brothers needed to to step in at some point because I'm a hundred percent in support of festivals occurring that celebrate these books. I'm a hundred percent in support of families coming. I mean, that's what this is at the end of the day. It's a family event. But didn't you do one not that long ago? You dressed up as Lockhart. Yeah. For Aurora, Illinois, which is also mentioned in this article from Philly voice, Aurora, Illinois had to change their Harry Potter festival, uh, between last year and this year, uh, almost entirely. And, And it was another one of those situations where like the entire town is involved. Businesses are banning together to recreate themselves in, in with a, like a Harry Potter edge. And it's cool. And do they make money? Honestly, yes, they do from foot traffic. They make money. But it's it's in a spirit that I think is vital to the community, not over let's all screw Warner Brothers out of a buck. I mean, mm-hmm. I, if I were I, Warner Brothers, I would encourage that spirit. You know, well, yeah. They just, yeah, but well, they're going to make us call it a uh, rinky dink uh, wizard festival wands and wands and boats. And, you know, <laughs> I think maybe these events have gotten too popular because one of these in this AP article, well, actually, the Chestnut Hill one got 45,000 fans last year. That's huge. And then another one in Ithaca, New York, I guess, got 20,000 fans. So that's that's a big event to do for a brand without official endorsement and maybe warner brothers is seeing how popular these got and realized well other towns are going to look at this and be like oh crap we need to launch our own as well and then before you know it there's hundreds of harry potter events going on around the country i mean i think it's fairly predictable that they'd be centered or honor around book anniversaries or harry's birthday or you know I, I i don't know i just think there's probably a better way to like if warner brothers were to say so you want to do a harry potter festival and it release like a public guidelines like cbs in fact recently if you remember the big star trek axonar controversy there was this fan film that uh crowdfunded itself to be able to make a couple of uh new star trek episodes that were you know unofficial and but they they used fan funds to actually get a to build a movie studio like a proper Hollywood style movie studio millions of dollars and the quality was going to be so close to actual TV production quality that CBS said wait a minute no this can be confused for official product you can't do it and so they set out guidelines that were very like bullet pointed about what can and can't be in a fan production, that's what I want from Warner Brothers for, uh, you know, these festivals. They don't own every word we would like to use in, the, in, you know, wands and wizards. Thank God they can still use it that. But things like um, Wizarding or Harry Potter Festival or Muggle, I, I think they need to really lay down what is and what isn't okay so that we all understand. Transparency will get them out of this hole where they're seen as just these trolls that they're, you know, they come out and ruin a good time for, you know, families. And that's what I love about this Philly Voice article. The headline photo is these two little boys with scars on their forehead looking a little bit upset. You're breaking a kid's heart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and exactly. You could turn it around into a positive so easily just by offering guidelines as far as the brand rather than going right in and shutting it down. Yeah, and maybe ask for a cut. You want to use our stuff? Fine. Give us 10%. Yeah, it's licensing, yeah. Although, actually, that's the agreement they had with uh, Aurora, I think it is. They asked for 
I don't want to misquote it, but it was something like 33% of proceeds or something. So 33%? We're giving Warner Brothers 50% from our Patreon. <laughs> Damn, we need to renegotiate. I'm cutting that out. Warner, um, why? It's a joke. <laughs> Warner uh, Brothers, well, don't you dare ask for us to rebrand our Patreon. We got the Pickle Pack graphics ready to go. <laughs> we will change it. <sighs> I, I will say, though, the first person I thought of asking when this came out was Heidi Tandy, who's a longtime friend of the show and fandom uh, intellectual property lawyer. She knows all about this stuff. It turns out our friends over at the Hogwarts Radio podcast have beat us to it, and she is their guest for their 200th episode of their podcast, because I'm sure they get in deep over what actually is the law. We have so much to get to today, but first, it's time to tell you about this week's sponsor, Blue Apron. They deliver farm-fresh ingredients and step-by-step recipes to your door. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. It's such a great idea because good quality food is important, but it's daunting to create a good home-cooked meal. Gathering the ingredients, following instructions correctly, making sure you create some fantastic meals for friends or family. This is where Blue Apron comes in. They make it easy to get cooking original, delicious meals. I've been using Blue Apron for over a year now, which is crazy to think about. Over my birthday weekend, I cooked up barbecue pork burgers and pesto chicken pizza, two of my favorite types of food for my birthday. They turned out fantastic thanks to Blue Apron's easy step-by-step guides. They send you the right ingredients, the right portions, and you get cooking. Maybe you're looking for something more adventurous than a burger or pizza? This is another element I love about Blue Apron. First of all, they give you a bunch of options every week, but they also create awesome partnerships with well-known people. Right now, they have a vibrant partnership going on with Chrissy Teigen. She's a best-selling cookbook author, and for six weeks, she and Blue Apron are teaming up to bring you fun recipes from Chrissy's home. They're wildly fun, flavorful recipes, like garlic and soy-glazed shrimp with charred broccoli, and hot green pepper sauce, and sesame chicken noodles with bok choy. Did we mention you don't have to step foot in the grocery store? The ingredients you need all come to you. You can cook a variety of meals without the pain of trying to get everything together. I love Blue Apron. I want you to try it. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free at blueapron.com slash mugglecast. That's blueapron.com slash mugglecast to get your first three meals free. Free food. Blue Apron is a better way to cook. So it's time for our main discussion about the Department of Mysteries and the Prophecy. It has been, like I said, 15 years since Order of the Phoenix was released. And to celebrate all this past month, we've been holding Order of the Phoenix discussions. So, first of all, to start this discussion, just a brief recap of what the Department of Mysteries is. It is one of the most mysterious areas in the Wizarding World, I think, that's fair to say. And the prophecy is the most crucial element to Harry's story, the reason that this is all happening. Harry repeatedly sees the Department of Mysteries and the Hall of Prophecies through his connection with Voldemort through the course of Order of the Phoenix, and we as readers are wondering, what is this? What is this? Is this real? Is he just having a dream? Uh, Little do we know that Voldemort is manipulating him. And this was, of course, depicted on the... um, cover of the u.s harry potter book uh, the u.s edition of order of the phoenix um the department of mysteries is a place where wizards study the world's most difficult questions the people who work there are called unspeakables as they are not allowed to talk about their work adding to the mysteriousness of it all 
And in Order of the Phoenix, we basically fly through the Department of Mysteries. We don't get to spend as much time there as we may have wanted. And due to the fast-paced nature of the scene, we just get very few details. So that's why we're talking about it today, to try to figure out some of those details. We're going to focus on the rooms. We do get a glimpse into some of them, but there are other rooms we don't get to hear about at all. So actually, at the end of today's discussion, we will see what some of our listeners think could be in those other doors. Let's start with the brain room. So uh, presumably, this is the study of the human mind. Why so complicated? Is is that what you guys think the brain room would serve? Could be. I think also uh, memory. Because when they fly out, they do have that trail of, it looks like movie film, of memories. So there could be some study of memory and uh, the mind in that way as well. Mm-hmm. I, I just get the feeling that some of these rooms might work together as well, uh, based on what we saw of the time room, but I can talk about that later. I don't know if it also might, they might study the mind body problem, like where, or like what the mind's relationship is to the soul. Um, or like what, what is consciousness? Um, you know, having a bunch of the room is basically a long rectangle room with this tank and a couple of desks. And I just, I really wonder it's, it's just not apparent. This is how 15 years later, we don't have an answer to this. We never went back and it's very kind of just creepy. It's like body horror. They think they're fish floating around in the tank, and it's, nope, it's brains. It is very disturbing, because you also wonder where they got these brains from. Is this like a donor situation, like an organ donor situation? Could they be extracting the brains of bad wizards and good wizards and comparing the different brains? Mm -hmm. Are they looking at the brain power? Would they want to see a brain like Voldemort's? And see why he's such a powerful wizard, or to to in that line of thinking, why Vold- Dumbledore is such a powerful wizard, hmm. possibly. And, and what I find interesting about all of these rooms is is there things that we want answers to, right? If if you kind of look at all of these different rooms that J.K. Rowling created within the Department of Mysteries, there are things that we currently are studying and don't really have a whole lot of answers to, right? Whether it's, you know, the brain or whether it's love, whether it's death, you know, and and we all have these questions about like, how does the brain function? And, and, you know, how are we able to solve and cure for different diseases? Perhaps that's something that they're looking at within this room as well. Um, Mm. I do find it interesting, like half of these rooms are studied by muggles but the other half aren't like the veil room death i don't i don't i don't know if that's really studied by muggles the hall of prophecies obviously that's a very wizarding world thing Mm -hmm. and then the time room time i don't think planets well no i think there are certain scientists that study time and and history and absolutely and Um, and philosophically we approach death yeah. Mm. So philosophers. Yeah, there's all all realms of thought. The crazy thing is when you get into like quantum physics and it's it's science, but you end up like all the subjects of study are like become one. They all become the mm-hmm. same thing. Like when you are studying the planets, but then all of a sudden you're talking about 
the planets over time and, and how a planet formed or when you get to the subatomic level where there, there's particles that don't even behave according to time. It's all, it's all like one thing, but these different areas of study, it, it just excites me because I think that wizards would probably have, I don't know, a, a little bit more of a foothold on some of this stuff because of what they're able to discern from their magic. I'm not suggesting wizards solved it, but maybe Harry or Hermione or somebody who, you know, worked at the ministry later and, and Hermione as minister might have been able to just ask an unspeakable. Maybe they can tell the minister what they're up to and really get some answers on this stuff because it's it's such a tease of J.K. Rowling to take us to these rooms and we don't really have any answers besides what we know about the prophecy in the end about how relevant it was. Um, but I think what, it, yeah. that's the point though is that there aren't supposed to be answers to these questions because J.K. Rowling herself doesn't know yeah, you know what the answer is in in a lot of these different cases, and so uh, I think that's why it was so often, or that's why it was left open to interpretation by the reader, and that's probably why we as readers didn't really come back here. Yeah, I, I do have one theory. I think these two areas connect. Um, I think when you pass through the veil, your brain is automatically removed and placed in that brain tub. <laughs> Because we don't know anything about the veil. We don't know anything about the brain room. It makes sense to me. If, you, if you're dumb enough to walk through that mysterious curtain, we need to study your brain and figure out what the heck is wrong with you. I'm thinking about that that Steve Martin movie, The Man with Two Brains, where like the brains are talking and um, he puts a woman's brain in his body and they, there's, I don't know, there's some joke about it, but it's kind of weird. Veil? The 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 brains are just, they creep me out. And when they attack Ron or when Ron is scarred by them, it's very interesting. And, and just kind of this whole, all of, all of these rooms are slightly sinister, I think, which is very, it, it, it works toward, uh, it works to set the mood, but otherwise mm -hmm. is very kind of creepy. And I want to move through it as quickly as the, as this group did. Well, yeah, I, I do wonder, though, like, does the wizarding public know that brains are extracted and, and held here? Like, I think what's creepy about it, most of all, is that they kind of just float in a glass case. They're not stored. <laughs> they're just hanging out. I and like that they're roaming. Desks just, like, look at them all day. Yeah. yeah. I like that they're roaming free like fish. It's kind of like there's... It's... it's that's it strikes me as to prove that they're still alive, right? Like the somehow wizards have managed to separate a brain from a body and the brain still survive. That's definitely something scientists are, are working on right today with cryogenics and things yeah. like that. Like, can you separate the brain from the body in the case of the body um, falling apart? And can you, you know, transfer it and put it? It looks like wizards found a way to do that. So it's kind of cool. I do wonder if there's like a pensive kind of thing going on here as well. Are they extracting memories and studying people's memories to get a better hold of history, perhaps? Yeah. Well, the question about donors, it was asked by George and Kevin on Twitter as well. And I certainly hope it is consensual. Although Kevin also suggests maybe the brains in this tub are from all the people who went wormtaily on Cursed Child. That is very rude. They're coming for you, Andrew. That. Coming for I don't appreciate that. I'm <laughs> locking my brain. I'm going to get cremated. Anybody here, would you be willing to have your brain donated to the Department of Mysteries? I don't know what they're doing with it. 
So I don't know. Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a resounding no. (laughs) I am an organ donor, though, on my IT. Well, good. That's that's saving lives. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind if my brain went to the brain room. That'd be cool. I'd, I'd podcast from the other side. That would be awesome. Hey, guys, I finally found out what happens in the brain room. <laughs> but, Andrew, you're dead. <laughs> All right, let's move on to uh, the death chamber and the veil. Definitely a very interesting and critical part of this scene. Of course, it's where Sirius dies. <laughs> um, when we first are introduced to it, Harry is actually drawn to it. J.K. Rowling writes that Harry, quote, had a very strong inclination to walk through it. And he gazes at it for a period of time and is mesmerized to the point where he's not paying attention to Hermione. Hermione's trying to talk to him, but Harry's just staring at it. I'm wondering, does the veil have magical properties to draw somebody in? Why is he so drawn by it? Is it just like, oh, that's pretty to watch? Like a fountain? Or is there something else going on? For me... The idea that there'd be this physical veil, this barrier in like in between two ancient stone pillars is kind of J.K. Rowling's way of putting of making something that's clearly a metaphor literal. Like there is the the barrier between life and death has been described historically as like a veil passing through the veil, shuffle off the mortal coil, like going through. She's made it in the wizarding world because, of course, wizards would be studying life and death. She's made it a literal veil. There's like a magical force barrier that's between these two pillars and it's in, you know, some room on a stone dais. But like, it's supposed to be a metaphor. It's supposed to be just whatever it is. But I think this is very much the, a method by which wizards can study life and death, Um, but particularly the other side. Um, And how do you think they study the other side then? You think they can access it? That's a good back. question. It's the same way that I would say we probably study. Uh, now I'm thinking of um, Stranger Things, but like mm-hmm. you know, going going into the other side with like a protective suit on and and kind of uh, or throwing something through, like sending probes through. Maybe not people because we see what happens to Sirius. He doesn't come back. But I, I would imagine either through volunteers or through spells or some kind of practical physical testing they're seeing you know or maybe just recording what the whispers are to kind of try and decipher what's going on on the other side or what the the world of the afterlife or the unknown really is there's nothing over here (laughs) don't worry about it what do you think micah i think that harry hears what he hears and and luna as well because they've experienced death right um and the others maybe not not as much uh, at least not to this point and so it's kind of the same thing as the thestrals they can see them because they've seen somebody pass uh and harry more so than than anybody else has had you know some pretty traumatic experiences uh in his life uh so it it's just i also wonder and this reminds me of I don't know what episode it was. I'm going to have to look it up, but I feel like we've talked about this a little bit. Uh, was the ministry constructed around this or what, you know, how is this even built? That That's what I wonder. Yeah. Like, was it there first or did they bring it in right. some, and, from somewhere? 
and who would be powerful enough to almost create something like this? Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't think the veil was like there. Well, well, if it wasn't there, it was built. Well, hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, what I'm saying is, I don't think they built the Department of Mysteries around the veil. Is that what you were asking? Well, yeah, because yeah. like if that's just yeah. where this happened, because you can't transport it, presumably. Right. Oh, right. well, maybe. Maybe. I, I I would guess that they they discovered it somewhere and transported it, but I could also completely support the argument that they somehow built this because it's ancient wizard like, right? That's how it's described in the books. An amphitheater. Yeah, yeah it's on a dais. It's almost like, yeah, it reminds Harry of the courtrooms. It's almost like it is a more ancient room than the other ones. I mm-hmm. I, I love uh, that, that old theory about everything being built around it. But yeah, yeah it's just maybe that's just the, the nexus or the hub where the actual portal is. So maybe as you die, you're transported to Wizarding London to pass through. Or if it's just one of many openings, you know, one of many holes in the layer between realms that exists maybe other ministries of magic have the you know the a portal as well thankfully um hermione talks harry out of getting too close to it or potentially <laughs> walking through it uh, hermione does tell harry that she has a very bad feeling about it and as a reader rereading it you know what going through it means so it, it is stressful rereading it that second time because you worry about Harry. <laughs> Harry is definitely, Harry wants to jump through it. He wants to yeah. do like a cannonball. He's interested. And you read it and you're like, oh, Harry loves to die. Okay, great. You know? <laughs> this is the trio. Are they like putting themselves into danger? They like exploring things that they shouldn't. Harry, and this could have been a massive mistake. Yeah. Um, do you think, Sarah, Harry what do you would've... think of the veil yeah. and the death chamber? I think it's, it's definitely interesting. And I wish we revisited it later in the books. Um, there were a couple of things that rereading it, it reminded me of the, um, the way that the veil moves felt a bit Dementor like the way that Dementors are described. And of course the way that they are portrayed in the movie. And I thought that the way Harry is drawn in was somewhat similar, you know, obviously it's, it's another side of the coin, but somewhat similar to the way that the mirror of Erised kind of draws him in as well. Mm. So you you think there's somehow a connection there between like the Dementors and the Veil? I th- I think it could be possible either that the Veil the Veil was based around based on the Dementors or that they sprang from it because they are they stand at a really strange point of this veil between life and death. They remove your soul. Well, what becomes of your soul once it's removed mm. from your body? Is that dying or not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we just like close up the veil and never have any more dementors to worry about? What if that's like the source of them? I feel like <laughs> if you I feel like if you close up the veil, people can no longer die or pass on to the other realm. Really? You think it's that powerful? It's controlling death. Well, like as a representation, like it has to exist so that people can pass through. I don't know. It's so interesting. I'm thinking of like Greek myths now where the hero goes to the underworld and comes back. But uh, what Sarah was saying about Dementors, I remember Dementors were like a made creature, weren't they? They weren't naturally occurring. I'm not suggesting wizards made them, but they 
I seem to recall somewhere, and now I'm frantically looking it up on the Wikia about how they came to be. But I, I could definitely see them coming out of the the veil or being made of the same, having their cloak being made of the same material. Like, yeah, just kind of. You do bring up some good connections, Sarah. Um, and by the way, this brings up another question about security at the Department of Mysteries, but we're going to save that for the end of this discussion because it was way too easy for them to almost kill themselves. 100%. <laughs> but as for like what's beyond the veil, like do you think it's just black emptiness? Sorry to say his name in this moment. <laughs> oh, too soon. Too soon, Andrew. <laughs> I mean, do you think it would be like the alternative is it's an opposite world where it's like the upside down and stranger things where necessarily, but I wonder if like the whispers are suggesting that there is a sort of middle area that these people might be in and they're all kind of hanging out stuck in perpetual nothingness. Maybe it's a giant library and everyone's saying, shh, shh. (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't. I just feel like the whispers kind of suggest that all these people end up in a different place other than death, like a wizard purgatory, right? But that would that would be just as bad as death because you're just stuck there. It's not like you're in the upside down or anywhere else. I don't think you'd just be in a boxed room. When we think of all the other times we've been in purgatory in this book or in this book series, like Harry with uh, King's Cross where Dumbledore doesn't recognize what it is because it's different for everybody. Um, you know, and Harry says, Oh, this is King's cross. And then Dumbledore's like, Oh, so it is, but it's, you know, this, this purgatory, which so few people must actually get to this, you know, that gives them the opportunity to go on or, or fall back. It strikes me as being deeply personal, but Harry hears more than one whisper coming through the veil. So mm-hmm. it is, it is very interesting. I wonder if, because Harry and Luna are the two that can hear them. I wonder if Harry and Luna were hearing different people. Yeah. Oh, maybe you hear who you've seen die. It's possible. Cedric yeah, is talking to different. Cedric mm-hmm. is talking to Harry through the veil. Don't let them besmirch <laughs> my name, Harry. Don't let them make a play where I become a Death Eater. It would never happen. <laughs> never. Or he's like mad at Harry. Why did you do that? Why did you let me die? You should feel guilty. Would Harry Sorry. have died? If he went through the veil, do we think? Yes. Sirius did. Why wouldn't he? Oh, maybe because he's the chosen one. Yeah, he's the chosen one. Because the prophecy and the... I feel like this is relevant. Like, he, he, he... The killing curse itself rebounds off of him the first time. The killing curse doesn't work on him the second time because it kills the Horcrux that's inside him. Do you think he would have been able to survive a trip to the other side? Given that he's special? Probably. <sighs> Basically, it would take more than a curtain to kill him. Well, uh, the funny thing about Sirius Black, uh, and I remember memes afterwards on the internet are just, you know, Sirius Black, proud son uh, of pure blood wizards killed by curtain. Um, the other thing is that Sirius Black actually is hit with a curse before falling into the veil. And so it's infinitely ambiguous as to whether or not he was dead before he fell into it. It just seems so unfair that Harry would get like an exit door, whereas nobody else would. Yeah, but that happened in know. King's Cross too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're only at the fifth book at this point, so he's if he went in, he'd have to come out at some point. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. Or the series could have just ended early. Or the part Surprise, of him that, guys, the part of him that came out series. would be uh, Voldemort. 
<laughs> the Voldemort Horcrux part of him in Harry's body. <laughs> Would we have walked through the veil? Would curiosity have gotten the better of us? I'm just going to say it. I would have walked through it because I'm stupid like that. <laughs> I think it goes to your point, though, about security, which I know we're going to talk about, about here, it now. Go ahead. Because this is clearly a very, very powerful and dangerous thing that exists within the Department of Mysteries. And to just have it completely unprotected and understand their death eaters that are inside the ministry at this point. So who knows the people that could have been taken out. Maybe we never hear about that. But the security is so lax at this point. Mm. And what's to stop you, Andrew, from from doing that? Nobody's there to tell you, you know, and there's no alarms that are going off or even, you know, warning you that you shouldn't come close right. to this veil. Yeah, Do there should touch. be signs. Yeah. At least a do not touch. Do not walk through. Do not approach. You do just not, have to hope you, you have a Hermione there. Yeah, I know. I have a bad feeling about this. Um, Yeah, and I mean, so the only security, and I think Micah brings up a good point, because the Death Eaters were there, presumably they knocked out a few security guards so that Harry wouldn't be stopped. However, it still seems too easy. The only security built into the Department of Mysteries seems to be these revolving doors in that sort of Department of Mysteries atrium where they keep rotating around so you can't really keep track of which one um, you've been in or where you should be going or even exiting. Hermione does smartly realize that she can mark the doors so they can start keeping track of which ones they've been through. But yeah, it doesn't seem like there's much security down there. It seems like a big oversight considering the veil is probably the most dangerous thing in the wizarding world besides other wizards yeah there should definitely be signs there should definitely be i don't know some easy way of explaining or or some books or some research that is readily apparent next to the veil about like where they're conducting their study it's unlikely that these unspeakables would just keep it all in their head what they've learned i don't see that working from an academic government right yeah it's like in these Jurassic Park or Jurassic World movies, there's warning signs everywhere. Yeah. And it's mostly for the staff and the scientists, but they still put them out there. Yeah. And the veil is just, it, it kind of reminds me of something you'd see in a haunted house. Like people would just be drawn to walk through it just for the hell of it. Sure, it's there. I'll go through it. it looks so innocent and yet it's the worst thing imaginable. And death <laughs> claims one more for its own. Yeah. Not to mention... If, God forbid, there are wizards out there who are suicidal, they might see the veil as an easy way out. And that's another reason it should be super protected. I wonder if Harry in his invisibility cloak could go through. (laughs) (laughs) I think he would still die. (laughs) No, I mean, it's an artifact of death, right? Death can't find him uh, when he's under there. So maybe he can go through and it would protect. Mm, That's interesting. All right, let's move on to the locked room, a.k.a. the love room. Um, So this is a room where they study love. Uh, They do keep it locked because people do crazy things when they fall in love. (laughs) Don't I know it? And uh, they want to make sure people don't go in there, drink a love potion, and then start doing nutty things. J.K. Rowling, you know, J.K. Rowling has actually been quiet about all of these rooms we were all hoping that in future books we would revisit the Department of Mysteries or maybe J.K. Rowling would say more on her website or something. She didn't really say anything. 
And I think maybe at the time she thought that when she was planning on doing the encyclopedia, she would actually write more about it in that encyclopedia, but she didn't. Um, However, she was asked um, several years ago back on Pottercast when she did that podcast about the love room. Um, She said, it's the place where they study what love means. So that room, I believe, would have at its center a kind of fountain or well containing a love potion, a very powerful love potion. You know, that's the first time they ever enter Slughorn's potions class, and he starts talking about Amartentia, the love potion, and he says, says it's the most dangerous one in the room. Well, that's why they should have would have found in the love room. Um, and then she goes on to say, so you would see wizards and witches taking it. They would study the effects. The room, of course, has to be locked. And there's this thread running through the books, what love does, and it raises people to the heights of absolute heroism. Heroism. As in Lily, Harry, Neville, and it also leads them into acts of foolishness and even evil, which is Bellatrix and also Dumbledore. He became foolish. He lost his center, his moral center, when he became infatuated. So that's what it does. That's what makes it dangerous. Interesting comments there. Yeah, I wasn't expecting a literal vat of love potion in that room. I expected kind of like the veil, uh, a force that can't be tamed. This is where we have like an insight into just pure energy or something like when, when the lock melts Harry's uh, lock pick, I was just like, Oh, you know, wow. That's clearly something very dangerous in there. Um, And I get it. It's dangerous, but if it's just people like ministry employees using the buddy system to feed each other love potion, and then presumably the antidote, you know, that's less exciting to me than what my imagination came up with. Yeah, I think I always assumed that it was whatever was in the room, not some spell that melted the key and that made it seem super dangerous and intimidating. And why would you want to go in there? Because it doesn't make sense that this room should be so heavily protected against Harry Potter when he gets into literally all of the other rooms so easily tonight. Right. There's right. actually a line at one point when he opens one of the doors, it just says, it's swung open easily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know that the Death Eaters want him to get to the Hall of Prophecy, but it's not like, yeah. oh, there's nothing in here. Just lock it. I don't know. Um, okay, so, yeah, the Love Room, I-, I can completely understand why it is so secure. I mean, and J.K. Rowling did bring up great points about the power of love in the series, and thus why it needs to be protected so much. Um it would be interesting to, to one day if like J.K. Rowling, you know, she has been clear in the past couple of years that she only is going to write what she actually feels passionate about writing. It would be fascinating to see a book, like an academic book, by the unspeakables, quote unquote, talking about what they have discovered in the Department of Mysteries. I want that. Let's move on to the planet room. So this is presumably the study of the galaxy that we live in, but... Is there something more here? Because why would this be in the Department of Mysteries? Why does it have to be so hidden? Yeah, this is a big question for me. It sounds like, well, Luna, Harry doesn't go in this room right away. It's Luna, Ginny, and Neville, I think, who are, they find him and they're like, hey, we were floating in this room with the planets. So there's- I think it was Ron. Oh, Ron. Because he talks about throwing Pluto at somebody. And and we saw Uranus. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Um, but uh, there appears to be a zero gravity element inside that room, which is yeah. interesting. But I don't know what the purpose is necessarily. Um, well, maybe it's beyond the planets that we know. 
So maybe they're studying further reaches of the galaxy. Maybe they're trying to find the Star Wars galaxies. Um, maybe they're trying to find other life forms. Maybe they know about other life forms out there and they're studying them. Like alien wizards? Yeah. <laughs> wizards in space. Uh, well, I yeah, I mean, I guess that's possible. That's a creepy question because, I mean, we still have to worry about whether we have aliens here in the muggle world to worry about. Well, But I do think wizards would be able to defeat aliens. You know how Harry is in Diagon Alley in one of the books and he passes by like a complete working current replica model of the universe and the appeal and he it's just like 50 galleons or something like he could afford it and he's just like man i'd never have to look at a star chart again um because this whatever it is is like a globe or something but it's a a um astronomical model of the universe so this department in the department of mysteries has to be better than that like somehow right you have to be able to you have to be able to to do something different in this room than what you can do at home with your, you know, consumer purchased working model living replica of the solar system. So I don't know if they're like if you touch a planet, is there now a crater on that planet? Like, you know, crazy kind of magical what's what's the magic Or maybe element? maybe you're transported to the environment of that planet. You're not actually transported, but maybe the room transforms into the environment of that planet. That's what I'm trying to say. That'd be cool. And then maybe they can test firing spells in zero gravity. Or study the planet itself if it's an exact replica. Yeah. There's no need for a shuttle mission to Mars if you can just go to this planet room and click on it, per se. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. There has to be and, some wizard element where magic allows them to do the, something that the rest of us couldn't do. So, and, and that's intriguing, kind of. But we do see them study astronomy in the series. So it, it's, it's kind of good to see that wizards, they're studying some of the same things that we study. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to the point that I made when we first started the discussion about a lot of these rooms that we're being taken into in the muggle world, right? In quote unquote real life, people are studying these things. People are still trying to understand them. So I think that we can kind of make that connection uh, from our world to theirs. It's like they have an enhanced version of every study that we could possibly want to go into. And I just think the reason that they, that this might have to be hidden away, getting back to my getting kind of transport not trans why do i keep saying that being able to experience these different planets environments i think that would be a highly sought after technology in the muggle world so that might be why they have to keep it to themselves because they don't want others experiencing it it would be too much demand all right so before the hall of prophecies there is the time room uh and this is Pottermore says it's speculated to be where the time turners were invented. Jesus. We do know that time turners are stored here, um, and all the time turners end up being destroyed due to the fight that occurs here. So I, the, the, the time room is kind of interesting because even though the time turners were destroyed, they end up making a few more as seen in The Cursed Child. Yeah, 
I think it be the reason J.K. Rowling said they were all destroyed was to help uh, prevent plot holes in books six and seven because anything bad that happens, you would presumably be able to fly to London, get a time turner, and reverse it. Um, so it made sense that she's just like, yeah, they're all gone. But come Cursed Child, they need to have some fun with the greatest hits of Harry's past, so there mm-hmm. needs to be more. Yeah. Um, do we think this is where time turners were invented? I, I don't know why Pottermore says speculated to be. I don't know if that, they're referencing fans like or speculating. Not the ultimate resource. They and... could just tell us. Yeah. We, we've had this conversation and they always say speculated. It's like, you know. You're the why source. Why are you speculating? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, that, why not? Uh, and, and we see sort of the chicken and the egg and, and you know, one of the Death Eaters, uh, unfortunately uh falls into the uh the bell jar right and his head starts to kind of age and then de-age and it's it suggests though at least from what we've seen from all of these rooms that wizards are far more advanced in the study of time than we are at this point in our in our history right especially if this is where time turners were invented the fact that you can go back in time and, and change things, uh, at least as far as we all know, that's impossible for us to be able to do. Yeah. The, the room where they studied time got so good at knowing about time that they learned how to manipulate it and then harnessed that ability and turned it into now storage for these devices. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes for a great like visual thing, though, like not just what happens to the death eater, which is more again, body horror. It's terrifying to think of, you know, a de-aged baby in a grown man's body. Um, with just the baby's head crying and Benjamin, but confused and Hermione even says you couldn't hurt a baby. Um, but like when the time turners are destroyed, they're stuck in kind of this loop. They're falling off the shelf and exploding and then unexploding and going back onto the shelf and kind of like a loop. And the whole room is like that. You know, so mm. these things that are happening are happening like like the chicken and the egg, for instance, too, going back into w- the egg after it has hatched and grown old. Um, it's just kind of like a very weird, like interesting phenomenon for J.K. Rowling to write about. Like, this is probably my favorite room just because if you look around it, you can very easily see what's going on and think, huh, that's that's pretty cool. Since Hermione has experience with time turners at this point. I'm kind of surprised that she didn't try to grab one and like go back 20 minutes and try to prevent them running into the Death Eaters or something like that. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Now we know this was a mistake. Let's not be baited again. Let's stop ourselves from being baited. I don't know. Lock down the Department of Mysteries for real this time. Unwrap the mirror. Unwrap the mirror. Uh, wake up those uh, Department of Mystery security guards that are hidden in a closet somewhere and get them to stop the, the previous trio from entering again. Um, okay, so let's move on to the Hall of Prophecies. This is the room where, you know, this is the, this is the critical moment for Harry. So they start looking for Sirius and they come across Harry's prophecy. Um it was Trelawney said to Dumbledore. I'm going to try to do an impression of this now. I haven't practiced this, so God help me. The one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord approaches. Born to those who have thrice <coughs> defied him. 
born as the seventh month dies, and the Dark Lord will mock him as his equal, but he will have the power the Dark Lord knows not, and either must die at the hands of the other, for neither can live while the other survives. The one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord will be born as the seventh month dies. So how are you doing, Dumbledore? <laughs> <laughs> what That's Dumbledore... exactly how that went, I'm sure. <laughs> what does Dumbledore do after Trelawney just vomits this out of her mouth? You know what he, do- what he does is he says, you're hired. You have the job. <laughs> Forever. Forever yeah, and Dumbledore ever and ever. Dumbledore didn't trust her at first, and then that happens. Yeah. Um, so, so Snape overhears this conversation, and, but only hears the first part of it. Goes because Aberforth stops him, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's unclear though at what point they barge in because it's not like Trelawney has ever been able to just like stop mid prophecy. So maybe there was just a scuffle where Aberforth saw Snape, grabbed him by the scruff of his neck, moved him away, and then waited waited for the prophecy to be done before interrupting Dumbledore. Do we see this scene or do we not see this scene in book seven? No. Oh, in seven. I, I don't think, think so. But we how do we find out about it then? We see Snape going to Dumbledore and saying that he think that Voldemort thinks it means Lily. Mm. Mm. Harry finds out at some point that it was Snape who overheard the mm-hmm. prophecy and betrayed right. Dumbledore. But he only hears the first part. Right. Yeah. Right. And so that's why Voldemort has sent the Death Eaters to go and retrieve the prophecy via Harry, because Harry, and this is how the Hall of Prophecy works, Harry's the only one who can retrieve it. Or Voldemort could, but Voldemort's not about to walk into the Department of Mysteries, as he says. Here comes the sort of question about the Hall of Prophecy, though. Surely there's a way for unspeakables to remove the prophecy from the shelf. They either have special gloves or a special spell to study because otherwise this is just a, a storage locker for all the for the infinite amount of prophecies that are going to be made. Um, the, as a room of study, there has to be a way for an unspeakable to take Harry's thing down and listen to it. Right. So that raises the question: Why would Voldemort have to get Harry to do it? Why not get an unspeakable to do it? Right. Or are, are the unspeakables like impossible to track? Can can he not track down any of these unspeakables to take advantage of? I wonder. They I mean, one us. of the unspeakables dies earlier in the year, I think. Mm. Maybe they tried to recruit one? Oh, hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that, so what, so assuming they can't access the prophecies, what else would they be doing there? Do they believe that these prophecies just shouldn't be accessed by by anyone, even the people who who they concern? That's interesting. It's not like you get an owl that's like, hey, you have a pending voicemail. Like, come and check out this prophecy. I'm sure some prophecies are vague enough. Um, actually, this is answered in the book, too, that like the question mark on that's inscribed on the um, ball or the shelf is a question mark because it is unclear that it was Harry Potter because it could have been, you know, as we know, Neville Longbottom as well. So somebody's analyzing this prophecy in the Hall of Prophecy and only later wrote Harry Potter and only later could Harry be the one to retrieve that prophecy. Yeah. 
I'm just reading now that unspeakables actually cannot remove prophecies from the hall. And there has to be a way to listen to it without smashing it, though. Well, maybe the unspeakable brings the person who it concerns to the hall. And it's like, all right, please take this down. Let's study this together. Yeah. But do they hold then Mm. to the belief that anyone concerned in a prophecy, maybe they shouldn't hear it because it could affect, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's perfectly reasonable. I mean, if they can't take them down, how do they put them up? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, we're, right. Where do they come from to begin with? It It is interesting how that works. Maybe does... Uh, clearly, there's a lot of them too, right? I mean, they're not all coming from Sybil Trelawney. No. There's got to be other... Like, who manufactures them? Are there other seers out there? Is there, you know, like... You go to Diagon Alley and you put a quarter in a machine in a prophecy prop or, or a, a galleon. Sorry, not a quarter. You know, there's, there seems to be quite a few. And, and I guess they probably build up over time. But yeah, there should be a prophecy machine in the Wizarding World Park where oh, you pop in a quarter amazing. and you get like there a little fortune come out. Fortune cookie? Yeah. Well, in or, a little orb. That'd be so cool. Actually, and as Victor is pointing out in the Patreon live stream, he says it's amusing that there are so many prophecies in the Hall of Prophecy, despite McGonagall saying that true seers are very rare. Well, I mean, I'm assuming centuries and centuries of prophecies uh, occurred. So they're all stored here, huh? The, the thing is, I, I think some of them are bound to be way too vague for anyone to know specifically who they're uh, intended for. So again, it would be impossible to code the prophecy so that only the intending parties could hold it or get it off the shelf because some of them are clearly not going to announce anyone specifically by name. Um, but it, it's almost as if like a real prophecy, once a real prophecy is made, it the magical world knows. It's just like um, J.K. Rowling's explanation for the Hogwarts uh, list of wizards. Once you're born, some magical scroll records your name. Um, it just knows. Hmm. Seems to be the same kind of magic. Ah, oh, so mysterious. So, so Harry, or sorry, Dumbledore finally says to Harry, "Sit down, Harry. I'm going to tell you everything." <laughs> and this is where he shares the prophecy. Do we forgive Dumbledore for withholding this information until now? <sighs> because because now everything makes sense for both Harry and the reader, and yet we're five full years into this story now and Dumbledore's just revealing it I actually can forgive Dumbledore considering Harry is still so young <laughs> to he, he at, even even in his fifth year at Hogwarts it's probably still too young to know that you're gonna have to kill Voldemort yeah I would agree with that as well it's I mean that is a huge responsibility to shoulder when you are a 15-year-old student and still trying to be just concerned about your exams, your life, and, oh, hey, guess what? You have to go kill the baddest wizard of all time. Should Dumbledore maybe have, like, taken him out of classes after this? Like, why does poor Harry still have to go to classes? <laughs> He's got <laughs> he enough to worry He wants to feel about. normal. He's got to save the damn wizarding world. He doesn't have time to take freaking potions. Mm. It's not fair. He gives his prophecy over as like a hall pass to get out of potions. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I have to go save the wizarding world. Sorry. Sorry, I'm the chosen one. Yeah. Can't make I'm it to class one. today. 
I am the chosen one. Micah, do you, what do you think? Uh, was this the right time to tell Harry or should he have told him years prior? I think he doesn't have a choice at this point. And, and he still doesn't get the full story, right? Because he doesn't find out about Snape and who knows what kind of animosity that would have caused even more than what currently exists between the two of them. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I, I think that you can forgive him, especially once he starts to talk about how much he cared for Harry. But I think in this particular case, Harry not what what I can't forgive him for is the lack of interaction between the two throughout the course of the year, because that ultimately, as Dumbledore admits to, in part, you know, he feels responsible for Sirius's death. And had Dumbledore maybe just been a little bit more willing to speak with Harry, that doesn't necessarily end up happening, right? So I feel like his his behavior towards him or and his unwillingness to interact and we we understand why right he doesn't want the connection there but i feel like that was a a little bit of a cop-out like dumbledore is arguably the most powerful wizard at this point he could have found a workaround you know there's something that he could have done that would have allowed harry and him to be a little bit more able to interact yeah i i agree and knowing um if you can believe that Dumbledore really didn't know for sure about Horcruxes until he discovers it with Harry at his side in book six, he certainly has inklings, right? He certainly has these ideas. And in book five, he's ignoring Harry because he has this inkling about the scar. But short of giving Harry classes for occlumency with the teacher that he absolutely despises, he doesn't do enough to really explain to Harry why it's important or Harry doesn't get the, like how important it is to make sure that what he's seeing is reality. It just, the, all of the circumstances of this book, how Harry was hoodwinked and, you know, Sirius ended up dead pretty much does fall in my opinion to Dumbledore um, because he created this, this monster and he created the sense of um, being trapped that Sirius felt all year um, and that caused Sirius to run out. So it just, Dumbledore does have a lot of um, things to answer for, I think, at the end of this book. As much as he may love Harry, or as much as he may know, he doesn't actually know everything anyway, and he made some big mistakes. Yeah. Right, like he didn't have to burden him with the specifics of the prophecy, but he could have at least said, hey, there's this thing in the ministry that only you can get, and Voldemort is going to try to trick you there. So be careful. Right. And I guess his way of doing that was setting him up with Snape to block that type of situation from occurring, but clearly it didn't work. But Harry, uh, Dumbledore should have known that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, at the beginning, the beginning of book six could have rather been like the beginning of book five when Dumbledore and Harry go on a road trip. You know, it's like, hey, you're at the ministry for this uh, court trial. Um, while you're here, let's go over to the Department of Mysteries. There's something I want to show you. You know, boom, boom, boom. Knock it out at the beginning. And then that does raise the question, can, would Harry even be allowed in there? Do they allow these people in there to begin yeah. with? Because we still don't know that officially. All right. So we asked our patron supporters, what other rooms could be within the Department of Mysteries? We got some fun responses here. Uh, Katie said, dark magic in an effort to learn how to more easily d- defeat it. Though I could see this hor- going horribly wrong. 
Uh, Courtney says, there probably is a room that maps out the essence of magic itself, its origin, and maybe even the tangible existence of magic. I'm kind of thinking about like how dust is in Golden Compass. It is super taboo to mention another. Um, I like this one. This is from Jennifer. I'd like to see a Q Branch-esque R&D room where there are wizard engineers experimenting with new inventions and creating new spells. Everything is top secret and need to know. I could also see a room that has security cameras on every underage wizard to monitor their use of magic. (laughs) It seems like the kind of creepy thing the ministry would have put in place. That would be a major violation of privacy. I don't think the parents would be cool with that either. Well, that's why it's unspeakable. Yeah, I guess so. But yeah, developing new spells. That could be fun because where do these originate from in the first place? Um, Sean says a room studying muggleborns and squibs. Why magic comes to certain muggle-born children and why it doesn't to squibs. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Oh, yeah. So, a a blood room, basically. Mm. Yeah. Connor says, Department of Keeping Things from Harry. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's the prophecy room. That's located off-site. That's uh, located in Dumbledore's Dumbledore's office. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The the prophecy should be moved there. Placed in the back under lock and key. Agreed. Um, Jen says, I've always thought there was a creatures department where they research magical creatures and their properties. In addition, they have records of every current living magical creature and any that are extinct. No, Jen, that's in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them by Newt's Commander. Yeah, you know, though, I think that there would be, due to Newt's work, there should be a, um, some kind of magical study or... Maybe maybe that's just a regular department in the Ministry for Magic is for the regulation and control of magical beasts. Maybe that's where they have their encyclopedias. Newt should own a zoo at the end of movie five. He opens up a zoo. Sounds good. Yeah. And then that's what they'll build at Universal. (laughs) (laughs) Bunch of like animatronic hippogriffs and stuff running around. Oh, I was going to say a bunch of horses with like stuff glued to them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Karen adds on to Jen's idea I would like to think that we will find that after the Fantastic Beasts are finished magical institutions such as the Ministry would be equipped or dedicated to helping these kids with things like the magical trace and working to prevent children from suppressing their natural gifts that would be nice and then uh, Serena says a library full of the most dangerous books known to wizard kind Sort of like the restricted books. section. The super restricted like section. Yeah. <laughs> you thought your library had bad books. Wait till you come into our section. 60 Shades of Grey. X-rated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Thanks, everybody, who submitted those over at patreon.com slash mugglecast. Also on Patreon this week, we are going to have a bonus mugglecast about the fall of Lucius Malfoy, which begins really mm. with this chapter, this area of Order yeah. of Phoenix. And one other thing I wanted to bring up um, in this discussion before we we move on was the movie, because I think, Andrew, you mentioned this earlier, but we don't get to see really anything outside of the Hall of Prophecy and the veil in the films. And I feel like given that, Eric, you had said on a previous episode, is Order of the Phoenix the shortest film outside of Deathly Hallows Part 2, right? Yeah. And it's the longest book so yeah it's also sarah's favorite it is actually yeah did we get cheated a little bit though because 
you also get the sense as you as you read through this part of of the book that you know everybody sort of takes a a hit in this part of the series, right? Uh, they're all kind of scarred in some way, right? You don't know if Hermione is alive. Ron gets attacked by the brain. Neville gets his nose broken. Luna gets like tossed across the room. You don't know about Tonks until Mad-Eye tries to revive her. You never have that real sense of despair for anybody when you're watching the movie outside of what inevitably happens to Sirius. So I just wonder... Couldn't more have been done here. Yeah, I do. I do agree with that. That is a failing of the movie is that you don't get that urgency, that sense of urgency and danger for anyone outside of Harry and Sirius in these in these scenes. Well, we heard we heard over on Twitter, Auntie Bjorklund also asked, why weren't the other rooms portrayed in the movie? Like, is there a good answer other than maybe timing that they didn't go into them? Is it because they don't get paid off later and move and you know, it's almost like a rule of thumb. It's kind of like why they didn't have, um, God, what was it? Was it Dobby? Well, Dobby wasn't in a bunch of movies, but there are certain answers in the movies where they just don't include because there's no payoff eventually, right? Like there's just no, they knew it wasn't going to amount to anything, so they didn't bother including it. Then there's the things they tried to include, like Snape's worst memory, which, uh, you know, were cut down so much that they may as well not be in the film. So Yeah, yeah when there is right. a payoff, you don't really get it. Because he didn't get yeah. enough at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. It would be similar, though, in, when Sorcerer's Stone and Harry's going through all those different trials. You know, that basically he just goes from you know, dropping down the trap door straight to um, confronting Voldemort. You know what Ooh, I mean? Yeah. And they even they cut out the potions section of that. I was so um, disappointed about that. That was my favorite part of that. Well, it would just be Harry. It would just be Harry and Hermione staring at a bunch of bottles and like talking through the yeah. problem with their head. Like, I don't the, know. The time room. When I was rereading this, I felt like it was meant to be. the The description of it was like meant for a movie. Oh yeah, this is part of it. He knew at once by the beautiful dancing diamond sparkling light. As Harry's eyes became more accustomed to the brilliant glare, he saw clocks gleaming from every surface, large and small, grandfather and carriage, hanging in spaces between the bookcases or standing on desks ranging from the length of the room so that a busy, relentless ticking filled the place like thousands of minuscule marching footsteps. The source of the dancing diamond bright light was a towering crystal bell jar that stood at the very at the far end of the room. To me, that would have been such a very cool scene to see in the movie. Just bright and clocks everywhere, all ticking. Mm-hmm. I, don't know. I completely agree. Um, also, the brain room, Ron getting attacked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, we already saw that in Sorcerer's Stone, I guess. Maybe that's why. Devil's maybe. Snare. <laughs> a couple of Twitter questions to wrap up. Uh, Andrew Hill asks, my question is, which room do you think was the most dangerous to examine for wizards? So what's sort of the most dangerous thing to be around, a room to be in? Probably the brains, well, probably, right? Th- those things are vicious. Yeah, the brains, the veil if you're stupid. I mean, what kind of precautions do they take to avoid not falling in? Yeah, they have Who's to say, uh, my fellow <laughs> unspeakable? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's to say, I mean, I wouldn't trust my fellow unspeakables to push me in. Oh, yeah, not, not to push you in? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mad Llewellyn asks, what is the Department of Mysteries for anyway? To try and create new magic from the study of these mysterious things? Or should it just be called the Department of Protection, as it really just holds dangerous things like thoughts, love, death, and time? It, the, 
the purpose is to have a greater understanding of the world. I think there is some R&D doing being done, like especially yeah. if time turners were invented here, that they are actively creating things based on what they find. Based on what they, be, they come to understand about these mysteries of life. Mm-hmm. And speaking of mysteries of life, the final question on Twitter, Libby Bunny asks, do they know when the world will end? Well, if they could use the time turners to somehow go forward in time, maybe they could find that out. And with the planet room, if the planet room and the time room were combined, you could see the beginning of the universe and the end of the universe. Ooh. I kind of wonder if they've actually tried that. Like, how far do these time turners go back? Could they take it back to the Big Bang? I'm going to guess no, because I feel (laughs) like in the curse, I mean, if if we're considering Curse Trout canon... Weren't those newer time turners the only ones that could go back far? Further, yeah. More than a right. Yeah, and for longer periods of time. Those are time turners, but what we're seeing in the time room is like weird pockets of time energy that's like not quite a time turner. Yeah. So I wonder if that, like the physical device has a limit. The machine that we build has a limit, but time itself is like, I mean, because the Death Eater who's a baby went back 30 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, in a very and specific a, way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and again, um, you know, Hermione, it would have been very Hermione, in my opinion, to go into the time room and go save Sirius. <laughs> go back oh, in yeah. time. She's clever like that. She could have figured it out. She did it once. Right. Yeah, she did save Sirius once. She's like, yeah, did it already. Not going yeah, back ba- yeah. again. <laughs> Maybe Not she's like... Maybe he was just destined to die. (laughs) I have to just let it happen this time. (laughs) (laughs) All right. If anybody has any feedback concerning our discussion today, feel free to email it in to mugglecast at gmail.com. There's also a feedback form on the website. Or, and this is the best way to get in touch with us, you can call us, 1920-3-MUGGLE. That's 1920-368-4453. Um... So let's do some quizich, and then we have an announcement about what we're doing in July. Sure thing. So time for quizich now. Last week's question was Order of the Phoenix themed. Who was the last member of Dumbledore's army to sign the sign-up form while they were in the hogshead? The correct answer is it was actually Zacharias Smith. And the people who sent oh, in really? the correct answer uh, were Anders. I thought it was uh, Barnaby. Barnaby Cuff? Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, Barnaby the goat. Oh, Barnaby, you know, like, he uh, put his... It's not always about goats. <laughs> but he joined, I'm just saying. It, maybe it was after they all left, he put his little hoof print on. He know. was, he was the most print. loyal member of Dumbledore's army ever. Aww. R.I.P. Barnaby. The people who sent in the correct answer to our trivia... He's still around. I don't know why you said that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the, really? He survived the Battle of the Department of Mysteries? Or Battle of uh, Hogwarts? He, Yes. Aberforth survived, so come on. Okay. He wouldn't uh, leave without it, Barnaby. <laughs> Long live Barnaby. The correct answers are tallied over on Twitter. Just tweeted us with your correct answer. And last week's winners are Anders Drew, Jennifer Rapp, Sean Brady, Caitlin, Never Cease, Sarah, Jason King, and Evan. Congratulations to those folks. 
And this week's question is Department of Mysteries, Order of the Phoenix themed. What was the spell that Hermione uses to mark the doors in the revolving room? And Amanda just at, oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. And please submit your answers over on Twitter and just tell us. Somebody tweeted me the other day and was like, am I missing something? I said, no, it's literally just create a tweet at ReplyMuggleCast and say this week's Quizage answer is blank. There you go. Yep. Amanda, who's listening live, says maybe they keep the Infinity Stones in the Department of Mysteries. <laughs> that would certainly be more secure, I think, than where these heroes were keeping them in Avengers Infinity War. Get hey, together, would guys. Though, would it, though, based on our experience with the security at this department? <sighs> Well, based on what we saw in Infinity War, I think it'd be better than what they were doing. Come on, Doctor Strange, hanging it around your neck. Dummy. Well, Vision has it, like, in his forehead. Yeah. She's like, hey, here it is. Come get it. Put Vision into the veil so (laughs) so nobody can get him. (laughs) All right. So, uh, fun announcement. Beginning in July... We are going to finally, finally do chapter by chapter for Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. What? Yes. It's been forever since we've done chapter by chapter. Um, Half-Blood Prince actually came out months before we started MuggleCast. So in those early days of MuggleCast, we were just jumping around Half-Blood Prince talking about various things. And that's why we never did Half-Blood Prince chapter by chapter because we knew in those early episodes we talked about various elements. But it doesn't feel right to not do chapter by chapter. This has always bugged us because we've done chapter by chapter for every other book in the series. So starting in July, we're going to start chapter by chapter and we're going to put a fresh spin on it. Uh, We've come up with some new segments and we're continuing to develop those. And as it stands right now, I think we're just going to focus on one chapter per episode And there will probably be a period in the fall where we pause chapter by chapter to focus on Crimes of Grindelwald, and then we'll get back to it once we have exhausted our deep dives. So I'm a new new listener of MuggleCast. I started listening in 2015. What is chapter by chapter? Chapter by chapter is a segment where we... Exactly what it sounds like. (laughs) Yeah, basically. (laughs) All right. Exactly what you'd expect. So simple example. We're just going to start with chapter one of Half-Blood Prince and... um, in uh, starting in July, and we will talk about various things that we want to talk about concerning that chapter. So it's kind of a reread, and another reason we want to start it in July is because this will this July will mark 13 years since the book was published, and uh, yeah, and 13 so, years of MuggleCast almost. Yeah, basically, because we started in August 2005. When did you start listening, Sarah? August 2005. Beautiful. Well, thanks for listening forever. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, Yeah, so we're excited to do this, and we've come up with some cool segments that we're going to do. And it'll be a book club, so it'll be fun. Better than Pottermore's book club. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. It really is. The stuff we have worked out for this new version of Chapter by Chapter is really quite exciting, and I'm sure you're all going to really enjoy it. Yeah. And I think... With that, it's it's worth mentioning, you said we'll be starting in July, that we're actually going to be off next week. Yeah, we're taking a week off because um, a couple of us have things to do, and uh, that'll give us some more time to plan the beginning of chapter by chapter. Uh, we probably won't start it with the next episode, with 375. We'll probably start it with 376, which will be out um, 
July 9th, I believe. So, um, yeah. So everybody can look forward to that. And we're definitely going to look for everybody's feedback as we go through the sixth Harry Potter book. And uh, that'll keep us set for a while. And then, of course, you know, we'll continue doing other things on the show. But that'll be like the main discussion of MuggleCast in the months ahead. I'm excited. Book six is my favorite book after Prisoner of Azkaban. Oh, okay. Cool. I already read chapter one of Half-Blood Prince, and I have some notes, some things I want to talk about. So I'm excited to... Do they relate to current day politics? Actually, no. (laughs) Okay. It is the other minister, right? It's the first chapter of... Yes. I love that chapter. Yeah, I mean, I'm disturbed by this portrait that sits in the other minister's... (laughs) And, like, coughs? Well, yeah, coughs and basically stalks the muggle minister. Like, I don't don't think that's right. (laughs) It's creepy. Yeah. surveillance state and wasn't it a chapter that was initially considered for chamber of secrets you guys were talking about it too soon (laughs) (laughs) no no yeah micah your your memory serves it's exactly right i think she said it was going to be the beginning of two or the beginning of three maybe and then it settled in the beginning so we should talk about that and talk about how it would have been different there are some very clear reasons why it would have been different absolutely Sarah, thanks for joining us, and thanks for your longtime listenership and support. Thank you guys for having me. It was a blast. Abs- Good. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, you've got a professional microphone, too. The yep. one that I use. I, I'm impressed. <laughs> Good work. Yeah, it sounds Good great. Choice. Why do you have that mic? Um, I am a t- trying to get a podcast of my own going at some point. So oh, cool. that's why I have the microphone. So stay tuned. Awesome. <laughs> well, let us know if we can What will help. it be about? Yeah. What, what um, would it be about? My podcast? idea is to do one about um, hobbies that people have outside of like their work. So I want to call it the corporate hobbyist. Oh. <laughs> and just because I, I know so many people who have all of these things that they do that they, you know, they're not getting paid for. They volunteer to do it, but they love it. So like things like geocaching or... Ah. Um, uh, there's a falconry in the area that I could talk to. Um, I'm on a roller derby league. There's people involved in that all over the country. So there's plenty of people that would want to discuss their passions outside of work. Very cool. Yeah. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Let us know how how it goes. And we'd be happy to (laughs) let our listeners know when it's live as well. So, uh, yeah. So that's that. Thanks everybody for listening and don't forget our website mugglecast.com is where you can get in touch with us we'd love your support over at patreon.com slash mugglecast it's where you'll find a bonus mugglecast this week um and you get lots of benefits like ad free editions of the show access to our facebook group listen to live streams you get early access to each episode as we do it live access to show notes lots of stuff to get deeper ingrained in the world of mugglecast Maybe one day, patreon.com slash pickle pack. But for now, it's patreon.com slash fungalcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. I'm Sarah. Bye. 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 <laughs>